0: Hi, this is Father John Arnold, and welcome to another uh, chapter of Oral Valley Catholic. And today, my uh, guest is still Father Sean Kilcali from the Diocese of Lincoln. And what I was hoping that Father Sean would talk about today is what I think is the dreaded conversation that some parents have about how do you talk about sex or pornography or dating or any, or any of the things that kids are starting to think about middle school and college. And so Father Sean, who's who really studied at the John Paul II Family Institute and knows theology of the body very well, his lectures are online if you ever want to, to learn more. it's You can educate yourself by just putting in Father Sean Kilcali, theology of the body. But I've asked him to give you the the Cliff Notes version, the way that many of us got through college, the Cliff Notes version of Theology of the Body. So Father Sean, welcome back. What do you think parents should know about
1: talking about Theology of the Body with middle schoolers and high schoolers? So I think one of the most important things is that Theology of the Body is a theology of love. Like it's it's about learning like what love is and then trying to live into that every day in our lives. Um, So my favorite quote from John Paul II that I used to make my high school students memorize is from a document called Redemptor Hominis, where he says, Man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. And, and that's really what we're all looking for I mean that's why kids start dating so young sometimes that's why people watch pornography sometimes um, that's why people end up in serial relationships sometimes because there's there's a void of love in their life that they're trying to fill you know and and oftentimes we, we don't have the script or we don't have the directions you know like maybe it's like directions for being a human um, and the, and the way that I tend to present it is is also using um, a, a specific quote from Pope Benedict where he talks about being in the image of God and how like God in himself is entirely a being for. So the Father is for the Son. That means he's like this active love, this self-giving love, this sacrificial love. Um, being from, so the Son is being from the Father, which means like everything he has is from the Father. Jesus always says that. Like everything I have is from my Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. Um, don't you know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Whoever sees me sees the Father. And that being from means that I can entrust myself to another person or I can place my heart in their hands. I know how to be vulnerable with them. Um, and being with is the Holy Spirit, who is which is more of an interdependent kind of love that we would have in friendship or in espousal, parental, or marriage relationship. And And he says that, Like We're God's image insofar as our being from, being with, and being for constitute the fundamental anthropological pattern or the pattern of our lives. So we all start off as a son or a daughter who entrust ourselves completely to our parents. And then we learn to be with another in our sibling relationships and our friendships. Eventually, one of those friendships becomes a marriage. And then when we have children, we're able to live that sacrificial love, that self-giving love towards our children. And, and so when we're created in the, when we look at the creation story, that's the order, right? Like God creates Adam first, and he only experiences himself as a son. And he's completely fulfilled in relationship with God. <clears throat> so there's not like there's something missing for him. And he, does, he doesn't experience loneliness like like I'm lonely when I go back to my rectory and there's nothing to do but watch Netflix. Um, his, he's alone with God and he knows how to be alone with God. But he can't yet love as a husband or a father and so God brings him a suitable helpmate. And when he encounters his wife, he says, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And this is somebody I can give my life to, that I can entrust my heart to. Somebody that reflects back to me who I am. And then when they come together as a husband and wife, through childbearing, they both become a mother and a father. And that's the pattern of love in our lives. And the distortions in love always kind of come down to distortions in those relationships. And, and the primary distortion, I think, that, that we all experience is this loss of our identity as a son or a daughter. And, and the kind of temptation that people don't really love me or people people aren't really trustworthy. You know, Even as a priest, sometimes I might ask a spiritual directee, you know, do you believe I care about you? And their answer will be, Father, you're a priest, that's your job. <laughs> you know, like you care about me because you have to. You know, and, I, and I'd like to think, you know, that I, I do care about them because I care about them. You know? you know, that can easily become, Mom and Dad, you love me because you have to. Mm-hmm. And I think
0: parents know that's not the case at all. But it's how you communicate it to another person. You know, there are some things that parents have to do that are acts of love that are love in the deep end of the pool because they're really difficult things to do. Mm -hmm. I remember when my dad, who is a great dad, I was just fortunate to have admirable parents, and he wanted to talk to me about sex, and it was like this most, like at 10,000 feet, like I couldn't, what does this have to do with me, dad? My favorite is what my brother said about his sex talk with dad. He said they were driving down the road in the truck and Mike was maybe starting high school and dad turns to my brother and says, don't ever masturbate, it's a nasty habit. But that was the best dad could pull off as a kid from the right. 20s and the 30s. But you know, these are things that these kids are hearing about or they're coming across themselves and they don't know how to talk about them. especially as they become sexually aware in middle school and high school. Do you have any ideas how a parent might open up a conversation about uh, chastity and self-control and uh, how to be aware of all these different feelings that start coming to kids when the hormones start flowing and puberty uh, starts to awaken them?
1: Yeah, so I think the one of the big principles from my military background is the best defense is a good offense. And, and, you know, you want to anticipate and overcome. And, and so anticipating means like, we're going to have this talk before it actually happens. So, so a child should know when puberty is coming and what's going to happen. Like girls, especially like they need to know that they're going to menstruate before they menstruate. Because I've talked to so many girls who have trauma because they got their period and they didn't know it was coming and they They thought they were bleeding to death. Um, And, but boys too, like boys need to be educated about these things, like boys should know that they're going to have spontaneous erections in puberty and that's normal and it's just a biological function. Boys should know that they're going to have wet dreams and they're gonna have wet dreams on a specific cycle. It's every couple months or so and it's totally normal. It's their body's way of getting rid of seminal fluid so that it doesn't become, you know, damaging for them, for their health and that it's gonna happen. Um, and those are those are things that I was aware of when I was younger, um, but I, what I'm learning because pornography and masturbation have become so common, and oftentimes first exposure is before puberty. Well, then that disrupts puberty entirely, and so then the boy who is exposed to pornography before puberty, they think every spontaneous erection is like sinful, because it's already paired with watching pornography, and. And so they, they really don't understand their own biology. Uh, there's a great program that St. Benedict's Press has called Love Ed. And like a parish can buy a subscription. And so we do this in our diocese. There's mother, Father, or Mother daughter, and father Sundays. And it helps them to start this conversation. And they go through all the biology and hygiene and things like that about puberty. Um, and, it, and it just helps them to get a jump start on things. And... <clears throat> And then there's this other question, which, might, which I also think is important, which is when parents learn that the age of exposure is really young, and then they say, well, what about my like, eighth grader? Like, they are probably already exposed. Like, what do I do now? Because I missed the boat on reading those books when they were younger. And, um, and so, so one way to approach that is to have an amnesty day. And so at West Point, when I was a West Point cadet, we had amnesty when a general might come And he'd say, amnesty, and that means anybody who was doing punishment, like walking area tours, then they were zeroed out, and they didn't have any more punishment. So an amnesty day is like, you're not going to get punished for anything that happens during this conversation. And then they might ask, like, when was the first time you saw pornography? And that's a good way to put it. When was the first time you saw pornography? And they might say, well, I've never seen pornography. Okay, so uh, uh, I heard on this podcast that the average age of exposure was between 8 and 11. So how'd you avoid it? Uh well maybe I've seen it. Okay, so when was the first time you saw it, and and has that been a continued problem for you? And and the way that's delivered is so important, because if if the parent is trustworthy, right, it's the parent's job to want the good for the child. If the child perceives that, they'll entrust themselves and be vulnerable with their parent. Yeah. And uh, and then and then it can open up some space. I know people have started this conversation in that way, and they they found out everything. Okay, I'm going to take your phone, I'm going to put some protections on it, and I'm going to give it back to you.
0: I think our parents understand that be a good parent, there have to be consequences, but in my view of things, there are certain kinds of things that you have to be able to talk to your kids about. And so there are certain kinds of things they shouldn't be in trouble for. And when they come and self-report, especially about seeing pornography, That's something that is opening up a trusting relationship and a conversation. Mm -hmm. And gosh, that will pay off for decades to come in your relationship with the kids. You know, one of the things that I think for uh, young people when I talk to them in the confessional uh, about pornography is they don't exactly know how to stop. And that's where parents can be helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I've told parents to do is to be uh, looking at uh, children's history on their phones or their computers or Xboxes. And one of the things that I thought they should be aware of is if there is no history, that's not a good sign, right? Right. Because it means somebody uh, wiped the machine. Anything else you think you... Uh, the parents can do to be proactive or to have a good offense when they're protecting their kids from pornography? Yeah,
1: so I think, I think those filtering programs, like using things like MobiSip sip or Custodio is a good program or Covenant Eyes. So they're getting reports. Um, but I also think that it should be clear that like mom's getting dad's report and dad's getting mom's report. And so everybody's accountable to somebody. And this is just the way our family does the internet. And, and then having regular conversations is just so important. And, um, and so, like, if there's the discovery that there's been exposure, then it would be fitting for dad or mom to check in, hopefully the same-sex parent checking in, um, periodically. Like, every week we're going to have a little meeting. There's a great with book. With the kids. With the kid. So there's a great book by Josh and Lucas Fort called Father-Son Accountability. And there's scripts in there for what that kind of check in conversation might look like. um Some of my friends have started using that with their sons, and they said it's really been helpful for them um, and and you just keep you keep the conversation going and um one of the you know bigger obstacles sometimes is just that we're not used to talking like this and yeah. and so and sometimes it stirs up things in our own memory or in our own past, you know, like whenever I talk about this, I think about my sex talk with my dad, which was about two minutes, and he's using technical terms, and I thought he was talking about erector sets, and uh, and then after a while, I figured out what he was talking about, yeah. and then I dismissed myself because I'd already heard everything from the neighbor, and, and we don't want that, Yeah, you know, and so. I, I remember it, and I just thought, what does this have
0: to do with me because, I think it occurred before I was actually in puberty. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't
1: understand that dad was talking about what the future held for me. Right. Well, Jesus says, I tell you these things so that you'll recognize them when they happen. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's kind of what we want to do with these kinds of conversations. Um, and there, there's some other books like Beyond the Birds and the Bees by Greg Popcheck is a pretty decent book, too, on giving the talk. There's another book called The Talks. Um, which is written by some evangelical Protestants, um, which really just goes through like this is what a continuing conversation might look like, um, and but the, I mean that's it's just really that's why I emphasize starting young because if you start young you establish trust and when you start later you have to reestablish trust in order to to help things to move forward. So you know that I think that is a huge thing.
0: Uh, about starting young, when kids are really open to it, and like my own experience of being uh, prepubescent, just not really understanding what this is about. But the reason we're having this conversation is because as a Catholic priest, I talk to a lot of people, and just like I know Mm -hmm. you do, Father Sean, from little kids making their first confession to people who are struggling with porn and masturbation into their 80s. Uh, And I don't think people understand the cost of pornography. And I don't like to alert people, but there is this heavy conversation that I think needs to be had. Uh, Father Sean, if you were to say succinctly what the problem of consistent porn use is, getting started down that road is, and the cost in interpersonal relationships, how would you explain that to our parents?
1: Um, so so it's, it's not really the kind of conversation that can be had in a soundbite, bite. Um, but but there's, there's the effects, the neurological effects of continued pornography and masturbation use. Changes how um, the brain looks, doesn't it? And it changes how we process information. It changes. Like every interaction that we have gets filtered through our history, right? Every interaction we have gets filtered through our history. It's
0: the high school kid that no matter what you say – That guy could figure out a sexual reference. Yes, okay. Okay. I think we've all heard met this (laughs) guy.
1: And I'm not just talking about our sexual history, right? Just our whole history. So, so like I grew up, you know, in the family I grew up in, and and so I grew up in a family that held a lot of secrets. And so, so I'm hyper vigilant that people might be holding secrets, and I really want to know what's going on, and I really value honesty and transparency, probably more than most. Because I, I know the pain of growing up with family secrets. And so every interaction goes through that history. Yeah. Right? Because it's part of my memory. And so the more somebody builds up their sexual experiences through seeing pornography, all their relationships are going to get funneled through that history someday. And, and God designed us in such a way that like we're created for monogamy, actually. You know, like, like vasopressin is this chemical in our brain and it's the chemical that allows the other person to imprint in our memory. So this is why a lot of people will say, like, they always remember the first pornography they ever saw. And because that vasopressin, like, makes the image stay with us. But, but what if somebody grew up in, like, a really chaste environment and the first naked woman they ever saw was their wife? Like, then it would be her. It's permanently staying with them, yeah. And there's something really beautiful about that, and, and that's what we're trying to preserve. Like Very much to preserve, God's plan. Trying to preserve the, you know, God's plan for being a human, but and and maximize, um, the way that we're created for a relationship. Um, <clears throat> and so, so people who, like, there's always the danger of escalation with pornography use. Like, somebody might go from still pictures to videos. They might watch romantic pornography, and then that's not enough for them. And so they go to the next thing, and they go to the next thing. Riskier
0: sexual and, adventures uh, or misadventures. And then everything
1: becomes boring. Yeah. You know, like uh, like I like going to amusement parks and riding roller coasters. And I remember when I was a kid, I went to Cedar Point in Ohio. They had three roller coasters. And uh, they weren't that big. They were, like, maybe 50-foot drop or something like that. Now, if you go to Cedar Point, every roller coaster is, like, over 100-foot drop. Some of them 400-foot drops. It's just, like, steel everywhere. And if, if I ride every roller coaster in the park, I will feel really nauseous because it's too much stimulation. And I really find it pointless to go to other kinds of carnivals and things now. It's an
0: experience of escalation <laughs> of an addiction. Right. Yeah. And, and it just doesn't
1: thrill. And that same thing is happening to people's sex lives. Because of pornography. Yeah. Like they have this escalation and then they can't like operate in normal relationship. Um, Pornography also like numbs our emotions and it takes away our empathy. And we just have a harder time feeling what we're feeling and feeling what other people are feeling. And so a lot of times, you know, I see this more in in the healing process where a guy comes in at a seminary and I was working with once and he hit the three month mark in his recovery and his sobriety. And he comes in and he's like, father, everything's beautiful. Like women are really beautiful. And the sky's like really beautiful. Like you see how green the leaves are and, yeah. and he's just noticing the world. It's the
0: experience of chastity and why chastity is a beautiful thing. It's my little pitch for the priesthood, live a chaste life. And suddenly people and others open up in a way they, they uh, otherwise wouldn't. And that's why celibacy and chastity is a great gift to the church. You know, uh, one of the things that you reminded me of is you know, our own Catholic understanding of, of, of forgiveness and healing. And I know that you'll remember that in the Sacrament of Confession, uh, you receive absolution of sin and forgiveness, but that what you carry out of the confessional still, unfortunately, is the temporal punishment of sin. And that temporal punishment is a wound that needs to be healed. And what I'm Mm -hmm. hoping is, is that in our next installment, in our final one on this, we'll talk about healing, maybe for some of the people uh, that are listening that may have this past that they regret Mm -hmm. and would like to wonder if there's a path forward where their experience of the love of their marriage, their fears for their children, their love for their children uh, might find some healing. And so until next week, uh, we ask you to keep us in your in uh, your prayers and you know that you're in our prayers. You really are in my prayers. God bless you and we'll see you next week.